Ooh. Wow. Oh, man. I can't tell you how glad I am to have a seat. This is a long journey and a difficult journey. I, I just feel like I have been walking now for miles and miles and miles. Uh, and I am so glad to have a seat. I'm so glad to have a minute to, to share some things with you. You know, one of the things when you're journeying is that you get a chance to think. You get a chance to, you know, pull some thoughts through your minds. And I've been doing that. And, and I have some thoughts, especially on our passage for today, 2 Kings chapter 2. You know, we've been journeying with Elijah. And now we've come to the last chapter of Elijah's life and the transition from Elijah to Elisha. And there are so many things here that are really worth our while to stop and to reflect on and to apply to our lives. And so I want to do that with you uh, this morning because as we are on our journey, we recognize that we need to have strength. We need to find the strength to keep going. And the only way that we're going to do that is by staying close to his word and keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. So I want to share three thoughts with you today as we walk through this. The first thought is that as we take our journey, uh, we are in the midst of what I'm calling a continuing story. So let's pick it up. You see here that Elijah uh, is coming to the end of his life and or his time on earth. And we see that in the very beginning, the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind. Right away, we're told that this is going to be an interesting story. He's not going to die. He's going to be taken up by this whirlwind. God is at work. But as they are approaching this, notice that they do a couple of things. They journey from Gilgal to Bethel uh, to Jericho, and then they go across the Jordan River from the western part, Israel proper, into the eastern part, um, the other side of the Jordan, so to speak. What's going on here? Well, very practically, uh, we see that they are visiting the schools of the prophets. Presumably, this is something that Elijah and Elisha have been doing together, sort of establishing these schools of prophets. And as Elisha continues on his ministry from here, you're going to see that these become more and more established. Presumably, they've come out of the 7,000 people that God told um, Elijah that hadn't bowed their knee to Baal. And, and this was an important thing to establish these schools of prophets. Which is interesting for us because one of the things that we see here as we think about the story is just how important that is. Uh, these were people in the midst of a chaotic time, in the midst of an oppressive time, these were people who were committed to the word and the message of Yahweh. And this was the thing that God said is going to win the day. It wasn't going to be their political activism. It wasn't going to be uh, the, the ways in which they um, came and influenced culture uh, through uh, you know, creative means. It was going to be through studying the Word of God, 
proclaiming the word of God, living by the word of God. It's so interesting when Elijah goes up into heaven, I believe this is in verse 12, and Elisha sees him, he cries out, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. He, he recognized that Elijah, this man of the word, has been the one who has been the defender of Israel uh, through that ministry of the word. And we see the importance of that emphasized here. So that's part of this continuing story and highlights its importance. But there's a couple of other things here just along this theme. Because when you come to Gilgal and Bethel and Jericho and the Jordan, you realize that these are all very significant in Israel's history. Of course, the Jordan River was stopped up so that the Israelites could cross over on their way from Egypt into the promised land. Uh, a great miracle happened. It was at Gilgal that they celebrated that and commemorated that. They built an altar there. They were circumcised. They renewed the covenant, all of these things at, at Gilgal. Bethel was a place where um, Jacob saw God. We saw that stairway to heaven, very significant in Israel's history. Jericho was the city where they won a great victory, and, and they saw God at work and, and had that promise that he was going to be for them as they went forward. Uh, all of these places, very, very significant in terms of God's dealings with and the promise of God's positive dealings with the people of Israel. But Here's what's also interesting about these places. Each one of them, Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, are also places of significant failure on the part of the Israelites. Gilgal was where uh, Joshua failed to consult God and made an unwarranted covenant with the Gibeonites. Uh, Bethel is the place where Jeroboam, king in Israel, set up one of the golden calves that they could worship instead of going to Jerusalem to worship that God had set up for them. Um, Jericho. Jericho was not only the place of a great victory, but was also the scene where Achan stole the forbidden things and uh, destined Israel to defeat in their next battle. Jericho has come into our story a number of times, and we've just been reminded over and over, and I think we're reminded again, that our story and that our hearts are very mixed places. You know, we say about the gospel that on the one hand, uh, we are more loved and accepted in Christ than we ever would have dared hope. When we see all the positive ways in which God works in the hearts and lives of his people. But also we recognize that the other side of that is that we're more wretched and broken than we ever would have imagined. And, and we see that here. We're reminded of this. I've shared with you before about Solzhenitsyn, uh, the, the Russian prisoner, uh, ideologically um, uh, ir unjustly imprisoned. When he got out, he had the opportunity to throw his imprisoners under the bus uh, and to, to denounce their way of life. But he very wisely and from a Christian heart said, the line between good and evil runs between the heart of every man. And that's what we're reminded of here. And in this way, Gilgal, Bethel, Jericho, they're powerful reminders of the gospel, the story that we're in. The story that we're in is one that uh, sees 
the glorious ruins of humanity, but the absolute beauty and love pursuit of Yahweh. We've talked about this throughout the life of Elijah. Elijah himself shows that he, in one minute, is calling down the fire of God. And then in the very next minute, he's despairing of life, asking God to take him away. Uh, each one of us reflects this. Uh, and this story is the story that we're in. And we are, continued to keep, or we are encouraged to continue to keep our eyes on Jesus because he is the author and the finisher, the beginning and the end of our faith. Because this, uh, the final way that we see we're in this continuing story is, you know, just as we see uh, Elisha going from, you know, Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho to the Jordan. So we see that the message of Jesus goes from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. There is always this progression of the gospel. And we too in the New Testament are called to continue that story. We're not to remain static. We are to move and to push out with the good news of the gospel. And that leads us to our second point, because part of what we ask is, how can we do that? How are we going to be able to do that? Uh, and this is where we see the confluence or the convergence of presence. I loved uh, when we lived in St. Louis, we would go sort of to the north part of, of St. Louis where the Missouri River and the Mississippi River uh, flow together. I believe they're the two biggest rivers in the United States. And where they came together was just a tremendous place of power. I don't mean that sort of in a spiritualistic sense, but uh, in, in the sense of, you know, just to see these two massive rivers come together and realize the flow per second. I mean, there was, it was really, really powerful. And we see that in a certain sense here. You've got these two mighty rivers, Elisha and Elijah. They come together and we're reminded of the, the call and the importance of the call and the provision of the call. Both of them are committed. Note that. Uh, Elijah, of course, has been committed. He, he, he despaired at one time. We saw that in chapter 19, but he remained the course to the very end of his life. Elisha, we have seen, has been committed. I think that's part of the first eight verses or so as they are, uh, you know, Terry here, Terry here. No, I'm going with you. Why have this? I think it's to highlight Elisha's commitment. This is what we saw back in the end of chapter 19 when Elisha kills the cow and sacrifices him on the yoke of oxen. He says, I'm not going back to my father's house. I'm not going back to my old life. I'm continuing forward. Burn the ships. I'm going forward. And, and we see that very much with Elisha and Elijah here. Verse 12, uh, when Elijah takes, or, sorry, Elisha takes up the mantle of Elijah, he tears his own clothes and he says, I am continuing on with this call that God has put on me. But it's a heavy call. I think that's what Elijah means uh, when he says in verse 10, you have asked for a hard thing. Uh, Elisha recognizes that he is stepping into taking the mantle that Elijah wore. And what 
Elijah is saying is this is a difficult calling, and this is true for all Christians. Uh, when we take up the mantle of following Jesus, when we take up the staff of us on our pilgrim way, we take up something that is difficult. We are going to be lonely like Elijah. We're going to be countercultural. We're going to stick out uh, in, in a way. Uh, it's a difficult thing. Uh, and Elisha recognizes this, and this is why he asks for a double portion of Elisha's spirit. It says this in verse 9 and 10, Ask what I shall do for you before I'm taken. Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit to me. He's not being prideful here. He's not saying, I want to be greater than you were, Elijah. You know, you did these cool things. I want to do even more cool things. But what he's saying is, I realize the call, I realize the responsibility, now will you give me the means to carry it out? Let me explain to you how I get there. Uh, in Jewish law, the oldest, the firstborn, would get a double portion of the inheritance. Why? Is it because they were the favorite? I'd like to think so. I'm a firstborn son. I'd like to think I was a favorite and my dad and my parents would give me a double portion because they liked me. Well, that's not the way it worked. Uh, the way it worked was they gave them the double portion because it's the firstborn that had all the responsibility. It was the best to be the secondborn because then you could just be the prince and you never had the responsibility of being the king. You got to go to all the parties, you got to enjoy all the stuff, but you never had to have the responsibility. The firstborn had to make sure that all the servants were taken care of, had to make sure that the business was running, had to make sure that the community was flourishing. And in order to do that, that's why they got the double portion of the inheritance, so that they had the means with which to carry out their calling. And that's what Elisha's asking. He's saying, you are my father. In fact, note that when he sees him going up, in verse 12, he says, my father, my father. Uh, and, and he recognizes that he has the calling to, to carry on the work that Elijah has done. And he says, will you give me this? And Elijah says, I can't give it to you, but God will. Yahweh will. If you watch me, you continue to put your faith in the one who is translating me, taking me off into heaven. He will be faithful to give you what you need in the carrying out of your mission. And you want to know the good news? And this is really good news. Uh, as difficult as our callings are, no matter what they might be, uh, if you go into ministry, it's a hard calling. This would be a wonderful ordination text. You've asked for a hard thing. Uh, it's not easy to, to stand in ministry and to minister the Word of God. I've thought that at many an ordination service, just in the same way that I've thought it at, at a wedding service, when we take our vows in richer and poorer, sickness or in health, these things are, are not easy. None of being a Christian is easy. But we are promised that he will give us everything that we need in the carrying out of our calling. Jesus is the firstborn. He's the one, uh, the firstborn uh, from the dead. He's the one that received this double portion, but he has given 
gifts to men. He has given us the promised Holy Spirit who over and over again is connected with the idea of inheritance. I've given you a number of passages in your questions for thought and reflection, and I encourage you to go and read them and to be encouraged to know that as difficult as your calling is, your vocation, walking after Jesus in your job, in your home, in your communities during these chaotic times, uh, in your marriages, being a kid, trying to figure it out, as difficult as these things are, God gives us everything that we need. We've just come through Pentecost, and we've been reminded that the Spirit came down and rested individually on each believer so that they were assured, they had the visible sign that God's Spirit rested on them. And so too, do you have the sign of the promised Holy Spirit who lives in each one of us and the, it's the presence of God. I mean, this was the cloak. For Elisha, the sign was the cloak. The cloak symbolized the presence of God. Remember when Elijah in chapter 19 went out and the cloak was the thing that, that took the, the fire and the whirlwind and uh, took the, um, the earthquake and it also took the still small voice. And it was this cloak that symbolized Elisha's call. And it's this cloak now that symbolizes as it falls from heaven and Elijah, Elisha goes, picks it up and he strikes the, the waters of the Jericho. It symbolizes that God is with him just in the same way. Uh, you know, he says, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? Verse 14, when he struck the water, it was parted to one side and to the other and Elisha went went over uh, the parted water. Where is the Lord? He is with you. Uh, the power is in the cloak. The power is in the presence. It's interesting, too, you know, how often we are told to put on the Holy Spirit, to clothe ourselves with that sort of power. Uh, we have this promise, and it is ours through the Holy Spirit. The last thing that this passage really encourages us is uh, with the promise of a culmination for pilgrims. We are on our pilgrim journey. Uh, we continue to go forward. A pilgrim is one who, who journeys uh, often for religious reasons for, to a sacred site. And in that sense, we are, are very much pilgrims as we are carrying out our life, not just for ourselves, but we are carrying out our lives because we've been anointed by God. We've been called to follow him. We are keeping our eyes on him. And as we journey, we recognize uh, that we are journeying to a place of his own choosing. So interesting here. If you remember back, Elijah said, it'd be so much better if I would just die. If you could just take me. But if God had done that back in chapter 19, we would have missed the glory of 2 Kings chapter 2. The glory of this translation where Elijah becomes one of two people 
who we are told did not die, but they were taken. The other, going back to Genesis 5, Enoch, who walked with God and was taken. He was no more, um, for God took him. Uh, there's this language of taken versus dying. Uh, but just a, a glorious thing. Why does God do this for Elijah? I don't really know. I, I, I have no idea uh, why God does this specifically for Elijah. It's not like Elijah was the, the greatest of the Old Testament prophets or Elijah was the most faithful, didn't do anything wrong. But part of what I do know is that God is, is showing us here that he has the complete authority over death. As God takes Elijah, as God translates him from life to death, he's reminding us that his ways are best, so much better for Elijah to go this way than if God had killed him back in chapter 19. Uh, but that God also is, is the author. He is the victor over death. You know, one thing that's interesting about this, with Elijah, he walks out of the promised land. He crosses over the Jordan from west to east, and uh, both he and Moses die outside of the promised land, which is really interesting. Uh, and they both have sort of these mysterious deaths. Remember, Moses goes up into the mountain, and, and he dies there apart from all of the people. Well, where do we meet both of these people? We, we meet them both at the Mount of Transfiguration. Both of these who died east of the Jordan mysteriously or who were taken east of the Jordan mysteriously. Uh, and, and we meet them with Jesus. Jesus who, if you remember from Luke 19, says he, uh, they talk about the exodus, the, the way through. Jesus is the one who is going to cross over the Jordan, pass through the Jordan, through his baptism, through his life, through his death. Baptism most often speaks about death. He is going to be baptized in the Jordan, which, you know, in Christian history, we talk about it as, you know, the place where we pass over from life to death, the Jordan River. He's knee-deep in Jordan, we will see. And Jesus is the one who crosses through the Jordan in order that we might have life on the other side. And so when we see Elijah here and we see his journey and how he's translated from life to death, we meet Jesus, the greater one, who, who wasn't just translated from life to death, but who went through the Jordan, who conquered death and came out on the other side so that we might have life. And this is what Paul is saying to us. He's saying, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body should put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. The realization that Jesus has passed through death 
to life is our promise of our own translation, the own changing. We see all of the glory as these chariots and horsemen of Israel come and they take Elijah up and they bear him away. We recognize that this is the promise for the pilgrims. Um, John says, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Uh, what a wonderful promise that this is. And, and I know that we, we all come to this at different points in our life. And I think one of the things that we can recognize with this is that God gives us this picture to encourage us wherever you are. Maybe you're in a, uh, a First Kings 19 moment where you say, God, I can't take any more. I can't take any more. The pandemic, the culture wars, my broken marriage, uh, my, my depressed state, my wandering friends. God, I can't take it. I wish that you would just take me. God comes to us and says, you can go on. You can go on because the promise is that I have passed through death to life and that where you are going, this pilgrim journey, a journey of religious significance to a place that is holy, this pilgrim journey will culminate with your being changed in the twinkling of an eye. And you know, some of you are getting very close to that and that can be frightening. I've talked with a lot of people who have been in the very last stages of their life, and it really varies, even among Christians. Uh, I have met people who have been very sanguine, very peaceful at the point of death. But then I have met others who have said, the Jordan looks so deep. And, and I don't know, I don't know about my life with Jesus. I don't know about crossing over. But what we see here is the tremendous promise that God is the one who brings us. He is the one through the finished work of Christ who has translated us over the Jordan into life. And we have tremendous encouragement about the culmination of our journey. Brothers and sisters, what a, what a beautiful, beautiful text. And I, I hope that it's been some encouragement for you to fix your eyes on Jesus. I know that we live in challenging times, always. We're, we're part of this story. It's Bethel, it's Gilgal, it's Jericho, it's the Jordan, it's all of these things. But the promise is that God gives us what we need every step along the way. He has poured out gifts among us, foremost of which is the Holy Spirit, that cloak, the fire, the presence of God and that he has held before us the wonderful culmination of a journey when we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Can you go forward? Can I go forward? Not in my own strength, but my eyes are on Jesus, and my hand is in his, and we can indeed journey forward. Will you pray with me? Lord, give us everything that we need, uh, continue to lift our spirit by your word and your promises. Indeed, this is the chariot and the horsemen of Israel. These are the means by which we would go forward in troubled times. 
pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray that they would know the grace, the peace, the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in every day, every step along the journey. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, my friends, it's been good to be with you. It's time to pick up our staffs. It's time to go back uh, and continue on our journey from the, with the Lord, uh, fortified by the, the bread of his word. Peace to you all.